Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Maybe broadcasting them live so people can learn from them and see how people can get unstuck. Because ultimately, I want people to help themselves, which is why I give my, my framework. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, this is Joe Peterson. I'm the vice president of cloud and security with Clarify 360. I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about a year, and I was drawn in by the energy and enthusiasm of the Women in Tech podcast. Esprit does a really great job in sharing stories of women in tech so that young female listeners can put themselves in the shoes of these women speaking. See, I strongly believe that if we don't show young women the way forward in tech by sharing our stories, then they won't know what's possible. The stories are what creates the value and inspiration. Great job, guys. Today's personal spot is about scaling versus doing the unscalable. So many people, especially in the tech world, talk about automation, Zapier, blah, 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 integrations, API, this API, that. At the end of the day, Jason Fried says it best. Businesses don't do businesses with one another. People do business with people. And we're all people. Whether we're an executive at a fancy company or someone just starting out in life, it doesn't matter. We're all people and we all have value and we it's important to treat one another accordingly. I spent last night, all night, personally messaging 103 people in the community, not to sell something, not to market, but to make sure people in the community felt seen by me, are supported in their personal endeavors. What can you do as as a founder, as a leader in tech today so that your community, even if that, even if you're like, Esprit, I don't have a community. Yes, you do. You have a few people around you. Maybe they're not your personal friends. Maybe they're just people kind of your coworkers. Maybe they're just people that admire something that you're doing. It could be five people, could be one person. What could you do today? What action can you take so people within your network, within your community feel seen by you and are supported by you? So important. And no need to automate that. Just show up, be human, and connect. Enjoy the next episode. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest coming at us from Vancouver, Canada. Welcome, Mish. Hello. Hi. I thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Mish, I'm so excited. You're just up. First of all, I'm that the universe attracted you into my life. I am the luckiest person on the planet. Go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. 
Yeah, so uh, my name is Mish, Mish Priest, and I am a solopreneur, which means that I am lucky enough to get to play and explore, work on different projects. In my past life, I have had seven careers, so I'm, uh, I learned this new word called multi-potentialite, which just means you're not a specialist, you're a generalist, you love lots of different things. So yeah, so that's me from art teacher to artificial intelligence entrepreneur. I've never heard that term before, multi-potentialite? Yes. Wow, yeah, so, that is cool. Uh, Emily Wapnick has a TED Talk on it. And it's like up until I heard that TED Talk, I just felt like I didn't belong in the world. And uh, and then I you know, thought something was wrong with me because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up you know, in my 40s. <laughs> so I saw her video and I just, I cried. I I felt like I was seen and heard. And so I love that word. Um, yeah, there's a, a place for all of us in this world. When did you get involved in the tech industry? What's your background in tech? Yeah, so I mean, I guess officially after I had uh, my first business. So I used to have an insurance brokerage and I did have some involvement with technology in that I automated some systems. I had an API created to automate our marketing. But officially, after I decided to step away from my business, I joined an insurance technology company on the marketing side, and I worked with the developers to integrate um, call to actions and things like that into the website. But then full on um, as an entrepreneur and product manager since, I believe, uh, 2017. So it's been, yeah, it's been uh, six, six plus years. I remember when I first learned even what an API was, so that you're like, oh, I didn't really do much, just an API. That's a really big deal. Even knowing what an API is is really advanced. I feel like maybe it's a little bit more understood today than it was when I built my Action Sports social network. API is essentially when uh, websites can talk to one another. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did during that portion? Yeah. So, you know, I was bootstrapping and didn't have a big budget to have Salesforce. Um, you know, the the feature that I needed was in a higher tier. And then I think each person using it was over $100. And I didn't have that kind of budget. So I used a different CRM a client. What is that client retention management system? And that one, they were able to work with me to get what I needed. And so I hired um, an independent group to build. And then um, uh, they, they were, so I just gave them the requirements and said what I was looking to do. I wanted to automate the marketing. Um, now we have all these no-code tools and things like Integramat and uh, Zapier and stuff like that to pull things together. But at the time, everything was custom made. So um, yeah, I had that API made and um and then we were able to be a lot more efficient so our support staff didn't have to manually uh, do all of the steps in the marketing workflow that we had. And when you say that now in your career, you're a solopreneur, how did you go from working for other companies to making the choice to work for yourself? And how has that transition been? Yeah, so I didn't know 
such a thing as solopreneur existed. I, I mean, I, I know that there's people out there who are, you know, creators, um, people like you who, you know, you're, you're creating and doing things for yourself. I always thought there was a choice between being an entrepreneur or being an employee, employee or employer. And after having my own business, I knew I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I didn't want to have the responsibility of, of payroll. It was a big burden. And getting laid off three times and, I don't know, just not quite being able to find my fit as an employee, I really struggled. And then I was following Daniel Vassallo on Twitter since 2019 and just watching all of the amazing things he's been doing. And then I came across this term solopreneur and I thought, oh, oh my gosh, there's another option. So yeah, so last year I reorganized my life and we were looking at what was holding us back, my husband and I, and realized that uh, it was all the stuff we had. So we had this house, but the kids were grown. Um, my youngest is in was in university, so we decided to sell our house furnished. So right now I'm staying in furnished accommodations. We sold our rental property. We were subsidizing that, and it was just another obligation. Um, I even sold my car. I live in a place where I don't I don't need a car. Yeah, and I just wanted to not have any mental barriers or anything that was like pulling money out regularly that I had to look at that was a mental barrier and put pressure. So uh, yeah, so that created the mental space to be able to explore and play. So since I got laid off in August last year, I've just been saying yes to a bunch of things and your podcast cohort as well. Well, I have so many questions. I'm curious, did you find my podcast cohort. For everybody that doesn't know, I'm doing a one-time cohort for anybody that wants to learn to have a podcast. It's already happening. If you wanted to cyberstalk what I'm up to, it's podcast.bet, which is, did you discover me through Daniel's small bets? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I saw that you posted. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love Daniel's small bets. And you know what? I didn't name the cohort after small bets, but it looks like I did. And maybe it was in my subconscious and I didn't know. (laughs) You know, the slang bet that everybody's saying now, like just bet, bet, bet. It's like, it means like, okay, like you got it. That kind of thing. Podcast.bet. You got it. (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) I have so many questions about your partnership with your husband and being a driven woman and transforming your identities. I find it so unique that you both transformed your identities together. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my husband, David, he's just been such a support. And uh, we actually ran our business together. So he's very entrepreneurial as well. I can give you a little bit of background. We met at work. We were both financial advisors. And um, a group of us decided to leave and go on our own. And he ended up partnering with somebody who um, was closing business behind his back. And I was ramping up my business. So then when that didn't work out for him, I just said, you know, why don't you come join me? And this is before you were together? Uh, <laughs> no, we, were, in tandem. we were together at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's just been uh, my biggest cheerleader. And uh, I, I've grown up with a lot of self-criticism and self-doubt. And he's always the one to spotlight what there is to celebrate. Wow. And how many kids do you both have? 
So he and I don't have children together. Uh, I have children from a previous marriage, so I have two, my son and my daughter. To me, it's just crazy how much you've accomplished. And like your energy is the energy of like, I just got out of college and I'm excited to explore the world. You have that kind of energy. So it's amazing to me that your youngest child is like just entering college. <laughs> How do you have this like abundance of curiosity energy? And I have the same thing. Like I'm, you'll always find me in a backpack studying, like I'm still in college. <laughs> Where does that stem from? Have you always been that way? Yeah, I've always been uh, super curious, which as a child got me into trouble <laughs> a lot. But I think it was just my mom's a creative and she was always saying, oh, I have my own idea. And she was creating in the kitchen and um, giving her all to everything she did. And I just have always had a sense of my own mortality. And um, and so I, I just feel like we've got one trip on this planet. It's really, 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 really short. And just make the most of it. So I feel like I've lived nine lives. I have grew up in small town, Oklahoma. I, in a 10-year span afterward, uh, lived as an expat wife, uh, moved in 10 years, moved six times to four countries. Um, and then after that life, I had my, you know, my uh, insurance business life, and then now um, my tech life, and now my solopreneur life. So I'm just... Uh, yeah, just I follow my curiosity and um, everything I do, I can't help but pour my heart and soul into it. What's it look like today being a solopreneur and also like working with both your life partner and your business partner? How does your work flow today? Because there's so many people listening that have thought about getting into business with their partner and they're apprehensive. I would be apprehensive. So how do you both make it work? Yeah, so he's actually still doing what he was doing before. So he he has worked remote since 2013, and he works with his family's company. So we're taking this journey together as far as our lifestyle and designing. For me, I'm designing my work around my life, but he is living his dream, um, you know, building his family's company. And so uh, I think, you know, there's sort of more of a, I guess, an, an ability for him to embrace me being a solopreneur because he has that entrepreneurial background and it's in his family. But um, for example, my ex is a petroleum engineer, you know, very much kind of traditional path. For him, it was hard with me always having these business ideas and wanting to work and things like that. So that was definitely a challenge in my previous marriage. Tell me, what's your involvement in tech today? Where is your curiosity? What are you looking to build or what are you exploring to build? Yeah, so I am totally loving the no-code space. For your listeners who aren't familiar, a lot of software is built from scratch. Everything you see, everything you touch on the internet has a line of code behind it that was written by a human or Maybe not. I mean, now we've got machine learning and things like that. But what no code is, is it's an ability to build websites and applications without having to know how to write any code. And you go into these applications and some of them are drag and drop. Others have blocks that you can you can sort of configure. I am still doing the 100 days of no code challenge. I think I'm on 
day 87 or something like that. But if you're interested in learning more, that's a great way to get your feet wet and to learn about all of the different no-code tools out there. And they also, the program, it's uh, it's free, surprisingly, <laughs> but 100daysofnocode.com. And you get an email uh, once a day, and there's a half-hour activity and some of them are project-based. So in my first two months, I built 15 different uh, apps or websites. Yeah, it's that easy. The easiest one, I think it was uh, M, so page. I built a website in five minutes. Um, what? page? Yeah. <laughs> I want to pull that up right now myself. Yeah, I believe that's the website, page. Walk us through 100 days of no code. Let's say you know nothing right now. Like you are not tech savvy. Like this is not your world. You're curious, but you like everything feels daunting. Would you be able to execute effortlessly with 100 days of no code? I think for most of the projects, you can execute effortlessly, especially in the beginning. Um, but it's it's just a really intelligently designed program where you start off with these little baby steps and the challenge increases as you go through the program. So then there comes a point where you may get stuck, but there is a community. So I just felt so guilty that I was getting so much value out of this. I wanted to give them money. And so they said, oh, you can join our our paid version, our community. And I think still it was like eight pounds. It's uh, based out of the UK, eight pounds a month. So that was a no-brainer. And in their community, there are people that are there to help you. Uh, so anytime I've ever gotten stuck, I go into their Slack channel or um, also Twitter. So if you use hashtag no code or hashtag 100 days of no code and you ask for help, some kind random soul will come and help you. If the most you've ever done on the internet was email and Facebook, you could still do 100 days of no code. I feel like the vibe of this 100 days of no code is the same vibe that we have in the podcast cohort. Sounds amazing. Yeah. And what's great too is he's got uh, Max... Hannig, I believe is his last name. He has people who are contributing different learning paths. So there's a learning path to create a to-do list, to create a personal wiki, a resource directory, things like that. And those are created by the community. I am so excited to cyberstalk this guy at 100 Days a Day. What a great resource. And we'll also include it in the show notes. What are all the, the no-code projects you've been building? Oh, gosh, so many. So one, I've built a couple of sites on Softer, so S-O-F-T-R, um, I think it's .io, or I don't know what the end handle is, but I've created my unstuckin15.com website, and that's where uh, people who want to meet with me, if they're feeling stuck, can meet with me for 15 minutes. I ask them three questions. And so you can go to that website and I built the whole thing in softer. I added a gift card component. So there's a gift up, which is also a no code uh, solution. So the whole 
workflow is figured out for you. And that one was a little bit tricky to integrate. I did have to get help with that. So that was one of my projects. Another one was for Daniel Vassalo's Small Bets community. I created a resource directory and that's where you can go and see other people's small bets. You can go and see the resources, the books and articles that people in the community have shared, um, connect with other members. You can see um, how to follow them. Another one was working at a venture studio. And what that is, it's a company of companies. So basically, they spin up a whole bunch of startups, just knowing that some will work and most of them won't. So this particular one specialized in commercializing machine learning models. So what they would do is take a machine learning model and turn it into a product and then turn that product into uh, a company or that was at least the hope. And so when I first started out, I was a product manager and I was overseeing three projects. One was lung cancer recurrence. So an ML model um, uh, that could predict uh, the recurrence of lung cancer. Um, and then a business one for customer churn. And the third one was a machine learning model that used computer vision to tell you if a cat was happy or not. So that project was one that ended up uh, pulling ahead and I became the venture lead of that. So I was leading that startup. In the beginning, uh, you know, we weren't sure what this would look like in the, in the real world. So in the lab, so to speak. So um, the machine learning model was trained on data that was verified by a feline specialist. So what the feline specialist would do is collect images of cats that were happy and cats that were not happy. And then it was fed into the machine learning model and the model would predict if the cat was happy or not. And 97% of the time, what the model produced matched what the feline specialist had said, uh, what was happening with the images. This was like uh, super cool that it was that level of accuracy. A lot of times with machine learning, it starts out and you may have something like 60% accuracy and you have to feed it more data in order to reach higher levels of accuracy. So our machine learning developer who had never owned a pet before other than a fish, after looking at hundreds of images, building out this model, decided he needed a cat in his life. So he adopted Hops. Hobbs was presenting as happy mostly. And then all of a sudden he started presenting as not happy. And after a couple of days, his owner decided to take him to the vet to see if there was something wrong. So then sure enough, the vet had diagnosed Hobbs with ear mites and ear mites is, is something common with rescue cats. And then a first time cat owner, you know, it could go undetected. And then later, I think two weeks later, Hobbs presented as not happy again, went back to the vet and the vet found tapeworms. So uh, this was just a super exciting time at the company. And how it works is you open up the app and you take a picture of your cat. Um, we also ha have a version where you can capture the cat by video. The machine learning model analyzes the image and then it tells you the result. So you need to have a good quality 
image. So good lighting, the cat needs to be facing um, straight to the camera. And what the model does is it measures uh, the ear positioning, the eye shape, muzzle shape, the head in relation to the body. So all of these are points on what's called the grimace scale. The grimace scale in combination with the machine learning is what enabled the app to be able to tell us humans if the cat was happy or not. And the app is called Tably, T-A-B-L-Y. And I believe it's still on the Apple App Store. So I'm no longer on the project, but um, you can go to sylvester.ai if you have a cat and you're interested in, in this technology um, and check it out. One of them that was really cool, and I didn't see it all the way through, but maybe somebody listening would be interested in it and I can just hand it over and they can take it take it on, was uh, one of the learning modules was about a voice app, but basically it gives you an ability without knowing how to code to build a voice-based app. And what my concept was is a lot of times people are in relationships and they feel stuck and they don't know if they should leave or not. And so the this voice app kind of walks you through and really it's um, my primary purpose is to help people find out if they're in an abusive relationship because sometimes you don't know what abuse looks like, especially if you grew up with it. And so the first question is, um, you know, are you in an abusive relationship? Yes, no, maybe. If they answer yes, then they're directed to a professional resource. If they say maybe, then there are question prompts to kind of uh, walk you through and it, and it shows you what abuse can look like because a lot of times people think it's physical violence or um, some people know that it's physical and mentally emotional, but there's also things such as financial abuse. And so um, that was an app that I uh, started building as one of the projects. That is ridiculously awesome. I actually can really empathize with what you're talking about. I remember one day I was walking with someone and I was telling them something in my normal life. And they're like, you know, that's not okay or normal, right? I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you're not supposed to be treated that way. I'm like, you're not? <laughs> so yeah, I really get like when you're in a situation and it's your normal, you aren't even aware that it's a problem or an issue. It's really frightening. I'm curious more about this Unstuck in 15. You're also launching your podcast, Unstuck in 15. Tell us more about Unstuck. And should we do a little mini Unstuck thing so everybody could hear what it's like? Yeah, 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 for sure. So tell me how you're stuck. Valuing myself. I feel very stuck in receiving. And so that even comes with receiving money. Sometimes I feel confident in deals. It seems like if it's really big deals with like a brand or something, because maybe there's a, like a, not a, I wouldn't call it a disconnect. It just feels like, it feels like I'm not taking from like an, that word taking, like I'm not taking from an individual, but like, if it's like an individual, it's, it's a lot harder for me because I start to feel like I don't want to hurt them. And for some reason, money feels like this taking and who I am as a person never wants to take. And so, and then taking is hurting and I just don't want to hurt anyone. So then I end up having value issues around money. And so, yeah, for some really big deals, a lot easier than, um, than smaller negotiations. 
And so the premise of this is I only get three questions, so I try not to burn them. So I need to kind of pause and reflect. And so just so I'm hearing you correctly, you really struggle with accepting or receiving money in various ways, um, but particularly if it's not from a, a big corporation or you know somebody who is intended to engage in that exchange. Does that sound right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So then focusing on the people who aren't the large corporations, what are all of the ways you feel are getting in the way of you receiving from the people you're helping and you're benefiting and you're providing value to? I mean, my gut instinct is just to say, me, I'm getting in my own way. But I think that's not enough of an answer, right? That's right. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> How I perceive money that I even feel like the word taking is involved because like, as you've seen in my nature, I, I'm such a tremendous giver. Like taking is just out of the question so that I even associate money with taking is uh, unfortunate because in end, when I operate from a place of allowing myself to receive, I am able to give my best self and I give my best self vibrantly. When I agree to, which I've stopped doing uncomfortably, but I've stopped nonetheless, when I agree to do something that isn't in alignment with making me feel valued, I end up feeling like irritated or resentful, which isn't good for me or for the other person involved. So this particular year, I've been really, really, really making self-love my North Star and making tremendously uncomfortable choices because they're not normal to me to say no to a lot, to make sure I'm in alignment with as many decisions as possible. But I still feel so much struggle in it all. It's just not comfortable. It's, it's like, it's really uh, an overwhelming feeling of feeling bad, like just this feeling bad and like taking energy, uh, you know, I, it's just weird. It's like this weird relationship I have with money. And what's stopping you from focusing on those things that you are fully aligned with? I mean, I know where it stems from, not to go like TMI, but just to be openly vulnerable. When I was a kid, I'd be given something and then chastised for something that I was given a lot of times. So, which was weird, you know? So it's like, here, you could have this thing. And now, oh, you're bad for having this thing. I'm like, huh, you gave it to me. So I think there's a lot of story around that. I'm thinking of someone right now, someone that I loosely know. I wouldn't say they're a friend, but they're like within my network, you know, and they wanted to hire me for something. And I just felt bad and weird. I'm like, I can't, I can't take this person's money, but I can't and don't want to do this for free. And I felt like, just really uncomfortable. Like I didn't know how to be. And like, yeah, I could just send someone a link, but then I, I get so worried. I'm like, is this really okay for them? Are they going to get as much value as they need? Is it worth the return? What are they going to do with it? What do they spend money and then do nothing with it? So then they spent money on nothing. Like I just, I have a whole storyline happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then ultim ultimately it's, you know, their, their choice. So, okay. So then for my last question, what are all of the pathways to help you overcome this challenge? To understand that I am such an integrity-driven person that it's just not possible for me to take advantage of someone else. It's just not in my makeup. 
and that I am an abundant giver and that the person working with me will receive abundance because of who my natural character is, because I'll see to it, to trust in others. Like even at before we started recording, you and I were having a conversation. You're like, oh, like I could support you in this way. I was like, oh, no, no, no. It, like, I don't want I don't want to hurt you is, you know, my immediate when someone wants to give to me in any form. It's like, oh, no, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to take like <laughs> assuming that if I took from anyone, it would be like hurtful to the other, you know. And so to understand what you said, uh, trust, trust that people can make decisions for themselves that are best for them. But there's there's a caveat to that. And these are great. And these are ways that you can help yourself. And what are some other ways? So outside of things that you can do for yourself to help yourself overcome this. Have boundaries in place. Like when someone asks to hire me instead of having any conversation around it, like depending on, you know, all the situations, whether they're asking to learn from me or whatever it is, it's like I have just specific links set up for all the situations people ask for my talent or time. So there's no conversation around it. Here's the link for that. Here's the link for this. But I just feel bad sometimes like Is it okay that I'm sending someone the link? Like, I don't want them to feel like I don't care about them as a human because I do, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, and and I guess what I meant was more so you have like your, it sounds like you've done a lot of work in this space and thought a lot about, you know, uh, things that you can do or, or need to do or tools that you can have for yourself. But I just wonder if there are, is a way to either set up your environment to help support you or if there are people that can help you overcome. So whether it's a friend or family member or professional or somebody, you know, maybe there's a book or workbook or course, <laughs> but I think there are, are multiple ways. I think, you know, you're on the right path with having awareness and, um, and you have some options available to you, but I just wonder, you know, what other options are available to you? At the end of last year, I had just had enough with of myself and my own BS that I have very proactively taken measures to start to um, change how I operate so that I feel energized by who I'm interacting with and the work that I do. So, yeah, I have put the measures in place from therapy to, you know, I, I signed up with Sheltful. And so I have Marcy who's on me every day. And as you know, like I had a meeting this morning that I felt um, was not really respecting my time. So I had a moment of awareness of like, okay, how could I have more shown up to that meeting so that I I make sure my time is valued? Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing the work, but it's un, it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a good time. Yeah, and ce- celebrate your wins. Every little win deserves a celebration. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway from this unstuck session for me is remembering to like trust other people's choices that the people will choose what feels comfortable for them mm-hmm. and also to just show up authentically with what feels comfortable for me as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully this helped. I, I, you know, hope, always hope these sessions help people get a little bit unstuck. Sometimes people get all the way unstuck and then sometimes it just highlights other pathways to, you know, help get unstuck. What kind of questions do you people typically ask in unstuck situations? Probably 80% of the calls are around career. So should I quit my job? Should I become, um, 
self-employed? Should I go back to being an employee? Um, Should I move countries to have better career opportunities? And then the other 20%, it could be um, like some of them are personal. Actually, my very first call was really personal. When I put the tweet out there, I didn't know what to expect. And my first call was somebody who was contemplating leaving her husband. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, no, uh, maybe I, I, I shouldn't be doing this. But the thing that's beautiful about Unstuck in 15 is I believe everybody has the answer within them and whatever direction they choose is right for them at the moment. So my job is just to create more options for people to explore or to see what's missing from the options that are in front of them. So that's kind of a a nice segue into how this works. And uh, if you'd like, I can go into that. Yes, please. Yeah, so um, I'm kind of drawing on my master's research background and my personal experiences with coming up with the questions, but also my observations of seeing patterns and things and and what helps people get unstuck. So with my master's, I was um, exploring how gig workers, so like if you're an Uber driver or a freelancer on one of those platforms, um, how you can get protections and workplace protections. So all around the world, there are legislatures arguing and debating, are gig workers employees or are they contractors? So what my research did was widen the lens to look at what are all of the options that have been explored around the world. And then I uncovered 11 options and the top three that were best for workers and innovation wasn't classifying workers as employee or contractor. (laughs) So I draw on that. My first set of questions, it seems like, well, so far, every single time, my first set of questions that helps is widening the lens. So what are all of the options available to you? And then the second set of questions will be around going deep on all of the options. So a lot of times when people are stuck, they're thinking in the binary of, you know, option A and option B. And then when you widen the lens and look at other options, even and then go deep within the two, you may have missing information. So if we take the example of should you be an employee or should you be an employer, you know, another option is solopreneurship. But within being an employee, if you're not happy in your job and you're thinking that you want to quit and be self-employed, you might want to look at what's missing or how can I make it work with where I am? Do I need to be on a new team? Do I need to be in a new role? Maybe I need to be at a different company. So within each of your options, what information is missing? And then the third set of questions, this one If people were still stuck after the first two, the third one took me a bit more time to think through, but oftentimes those are like the really good, juicy questions. And I'm starting to learn categories of questions there. If people are still stuck, it might be because they're afraid of the risk. So I'll ask them, you know, what are the risks with all of the options you're exploring? And sometimes it's just talking through them and and getting outside of their head. And, um, and as they say them out loud, they'll come up with their own solutions for how to mitigate those risks. 
And then the other area with the third question is reframing. So sometimes people get stuck because they've framed a situation in a very specific way. So if they're still stuck after the second question, I'll ask them to reframe their situation. And where can people sign up to do an unstuck session with you? Unstuck in, so I-N, 15, the number 15.com. So I started out with it being free because I was curious and I didn't have quite the formula that I have now. And then right now I have it at $5 because I'm looking to build social proof. So I want to get those testimonials and get that ramped up. I did have somebody say she was stuck in a very... Uh, she was very, very stuck. And she said she would have paid me $100 for those 15 minutes. And so I did for a period of time, I'm like, oh, I don't think I could do $100. And then I had it for $50. But I really think if I have the use cases up there, and I have the testimonials, I may increase the price, but I still want this to be accessible to people. So I think um, I can see in the future, perhaps charging more for the one-on-one sessions, but then maybe broadcasting them live so people can learn from them and see how people can get unstuck. Because ultimately, I want people to help themselves, which is why I give my my framework. Okay, wait. So you thought about charging 100 You did, for a short period, charge 50 uh, can we t- dive into that for a second? Because it's very similar to like yep. my quamble in <laughs> yes. my head. So why do you have the hesitation around 100? What happened when you charge 50? And why? I don't even want to end up why you landed on five because five is very safe. So let's just forget about the five. It's five. Anybody that signs up right now is extremely lucky. What happened when you charged 50? I stopped promoting it. <laughs> so I stopped tweeting about it. I stopped talking about it. Because you um, felt shame or why do you think that was? Yeah, I feel like I don't I don't have it validated yet. So and then I'm like you. I feel I can sell other people's stuff all day long. I sold insurance. Like if you can sell insurance, you can sell anything. Um but when it comes to me, I I just I feel like I don't know my worth and my value. So where I can see like you, I'm more comfortable with charging larger corporations. So a pathway I see forward with this is this could be a lead generation for a coaching organization where they can allow um, people to sample their coaches, things like that. So um, I don't know if I'll take it down that path. Wait, but- I'm wait, hold on. I'm going to pierce both of our self-limiting beliefs. I had no idea you were in my village. Listen, <laughs> here's here's piercing both of our self-limiting beliefs. If somebody wants something, they get it, whether it's uh, headphones, it's uh, concert tickets, it's uh, a dinner, it's eating out, it's Uber Eats, it's Instacart, a vacation, it's uh, some sort of toy. You know, when someone wants something and they truly value that thing, they pay for it. Like, that's what capitalism is. That's what money is. And I mean, even let's take these enormous gas prices that we're experiencing. If people want to drive, they're going to pay the gas, you know? And so like that you and I have this storyline around worth is like such a shame because like that same person that we're not charging the hundred bucks to or the 500 bucks to or whatever it may be, that person is totally 
paying that same money to go to a, a dinner or what or a few dinners yes. or eat, drink their <laughs> yeah. Starbucks coffee. It's not like they're not spending the money somewhere because someone who genuinely doesn't have the money, like a lot of other countries, like not in America and Canada necessarily, or, you know, there's a lot of areas in both. Of course, there's people like that are going through the hardship of life. There's other countries that, I mean, it's it's like really unfortunate the kind of economic situation they have, you know, they have nothing, nothing. So in more prosperous countries like America and, and Canada, the U.S. and Canada, like there are so many people who are happily going out to eat. And it's all about do they value us and do they value what we're providing? And if they don't value us and value what we're providing, maybe we need to reposition ourselves. And maybe that all starts with valuing ourselves first. Like I was talking to a friend of mine last night and they were telling me how they're worried about their team morale and stuff like that. I'm like, well, how are you feeling about your company? And the person said like, not great, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, I bet if you had a stronger team, like morale for your company, your team would then have a stronger morale for your company because you're the leader. So they're like uh, emulating you following suit. And then it turned out he had a team meeting after our call and he was saying, oh my gosh, you were right. My team is so energized by my new like way of being like, thank you so much. It, it was totally how I was visioning my own company that was affecting the morale of my teammates. And I think Mish with you and I, it's how we vision ourselves. Like the reason I had a call with someone who didn't value my time is because I didn't make it clear that my time is valuable. Like it's not someone actually not valuing my time. It's someone just following my lead. I think we should experiment and try and we should attract people who who value it. And then the people who genuinely can't afford it will let us know and we could set up, you know, scholarship programs and stuff. But the more you and I hold on to these narratives, they're bullshit narratives. The more we hold on to these narratives when these same people are paying for a dinner or expensive groceries, is it's just, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and in my head, as you're saying this, I'm like, oh, maybe I could offer the free and like um, clubhouse or something. And so for people who can't you're afford already it, can... like, <laughs> you're I'm like already finding a wiggle yeah. room out. I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> right? I'm so uncomfortable too. I am uncomfortable with being rejected. I'm uncomfortable with feeling like I'm being perceived as I'm not enough, like I'm not worth it. But I mean, the truth is my peers, they're charging like left and right, like a few thousand dollars for the same stuff that I'm doing. Let's even take my cohort. Mish, how much do I charge for my cohort? You charge nothing. It's crazy. $35. It's I No, it's I $30. Thought, it was $30. $30. I was like, are there a couple of <laughs> zeros worse. missing here? <laughs> Not just to be nice, like like genuinely and be really, really honest. How much do you think now having experienced a little bit, my cohort not necessarily is worth, but like if it wasn't me, what would you have paid for that same thing somewhere else? Yeah. So I feel like I should give a little bit of context. So I, I, I love learning and I've paid, I've done like Scott Galloway's course, which I think was um, almost $900, things like that. So uh so the fact that a lot of these courses are under $100 is crazy to me. I think there's this point 
like when you do pricing, like what's that point where you pause? So for sure, uh, up to $500, I wouldn't have paused. I think at 1500, I would have, uh, like really, really thought about it and then thought about what are all of the things that I'm doing in my life and how does it fit in and, you know, kind of weigh the benefits of, uh, against everything. And so, but now having, taken the course. And I mean, you just blew me away. Even if if somebody said, okay, imagine the very, 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 very best and most extreme podcast cohort course you can imagine. This was like a thousand times beyond that. <laughs> so I just, I, I just think it's so great because I've thought of having a podcast off and on for years and there's just so many barriers and you're basically like whipping us through all of the barriers, you're providing so much value, so much support, so many tools. And I think, you know, now if I were to to go back and do it for me, I mean, I would not hesitate at paying 1500 And then I think at the close to 3000 would be where I would kind of, again, like reassess and weigh and things like that. But I think even like it's worth even 3000 When you think of what people are paying for university courses and, um, I don't, well, I shouldn't say, uh, I'll just stop there. <laughs> the idea is both of us, I think this can be an invitation for both of us to really reframe ourselves. I think you and I, I'm speaking for you, so please interrupt me if I'm saying anything that's not in alignment with you, but it seems like you and I use this idea of like a low price tag as we tell ourselves that like we're good people and we're protecting others. When really the truth is we're afraid we're not enough. Uh, I'm just going to speak for myself because I, I I don't know the words you would use for yourself. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm right with you. I'm right with you. Okay. We're afraid we're not enough and that what we're giving is not worth it enough. And we, and I feel like at least for me, I use the low price point as a protection. Well, well, at least if I'm not enough, they didn't pay enough, so maybe they won't notice. <laughs> I think this is the time that both of us need to like whatever we do next. Like for me, the, the the cohort is in motion. Everyone is the luckiest person ever to be getting it for 30 bucks. You guys, 30 bucks just once, not a month, not just like 30 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> like it's crazy. Like, but for you with this ongoing, you know, unstuck thing, I just I'd welcome you to sit, have a five dollar scholarship plan and then a normal, you know, fifty dollar plan. I think the way we can make a decision is what is the number that genuinely would make you you feel valued and who is your target market? How much can they afford? How much is it worth it to them? And so if we don't understand the worth of our own product and services we need to do more homework to find out the concrete worth to people. And maybe maybe we do a sample set to find out that worth. Maybe you do $5 or free or whatever it was for the month to figure out like, okay, what did you get out of it? What did Now you have concrete data. Like for me, the 30 buck cohort. Now I have concrete data. The thing that has surprised me the most is the thing that people have said they've got is the most worth it. It has been the community, right? So now I have concrete data and I've, I've even pressed people People. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, can't you get this community in a Facebook group? They're like, no, this is why. Like, the community is so valuable. So now that I have this data 
of like what the actual value is. Now I could reverse engineer whatever it is I create next if it's in the same kind of category of like what to price it at. And some people aren't going to be comfortable or want to pay that. And that's okay. They're not the right fit, you know? And then other people won't see the value because we haven't accurately positioned ourselves. You know, we haven't demonstrated, we haven't put the testimonials on our website. We haven't created, you know, the solid design on our website to trust us. I remember when I first found Shelfful, I typed in accountability partner in Google. This was at the end of December of last year. And I got a a few results, not too many. Shelfful at the time was paying for ads. So that's how I found them. I clicked on all three the one that had the UI that I felt the most confident in and the copy that I felt like they got me as a person, that's the one I went with, which was Shelfful. And it turns out they're just as great as they promised to be. I feel like you should get off of this episode and and have the two plans, $5 scholarship plan, which they have to contact you directly for, or just publicly, you could click on any time, 50, 50 bucks. And if you wanted to be 49 or 47, fine. How are you feeling right now? Do you feel like you, you want to even do that? And if you do want to do it, do you think you will even do that? So the steps I have laid out in my head is go back to all of the people that I worked with, follow up with them and ask for a testimonial, get at least three testimonials. I have one, or actually I I have one that's up and I have one that's pending. So I just need one more. And then uh, that'll kind of (laughs) calm. I'll have that social proof up a little bit. And then, yeah, I'll think about the pricing. I want to probably, I I should treat this as I would when I was a product manager and do some pricing experiments. So I could see, um, yeah, having where, you know, if you can't afford this, reach out to me. I definitely know my target market are people who are career changers. They're, uh, you know, I want to help them live the life that's waiting for them. And they're the type of people that would pay $500 an hour for an executive coach. Um, and if I'm going to use this as a lead gen tool, then I've, I've got to attract the people that would be their clientele. So I think there are a couple of ways I can offer it for people. Um, so for example, like on Clubhouse or something, uh, who really need help and can't afford it. So yeah, so you've helped me generate some ideas and (laughs) I just have to lean into the discomfort. Same. I feel like you and I should just commit to one another right now that whatever our next move is, maybe we'll even run it by one another. Like here's what I'm about to charge. (laughs) And then you can be like, Esprit, you're an idiot. (laughs) higher, (laughs) you know, like I think we're both telling ourselves stories to keep ourselves safe. We're telling ourselves that we're doing it to keep others safe, but I think who we're actually keeping safe is ourselves. Yes. Yes. I think so too. And I actually work with companies on figuring out how to charge more for their services or how to provide services that provide enough value. So I have people like if they're charging, you know, $10 for a service, it's like, what if it was $10,000? Like, how would you make it worth a while? And as a thought exercise, and then I don't do it for myself, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I'd love to uh, run my ideas by you and have you challenge me. And I'd love for you to do that. The same with me. Even with my LA Tech organization, one of the complaints my members had was that I don't charge enough because they said, 
if you charge higher, it filters out people that aren't that serious. And I'm like, whoa. So they're like, if I didn't know you, I wouldn't be able to take your product seriously because you weren't charging enough for me to think it's a serious product. Okay, last quick fire round. First of all, how can people connect with you? I'm on Twitter. So uh, Mish Priest is my handle. And I, I'm, I love Twitter. So I'm there for sure. You know, book a session with me on unstuckin15.com. I am also on LinkedIn. Um, but Twitter is the best way to reach me for sure. And can you spell your handle for everyone? Yeah. So M as in Mary, I-C-H-E. And then priest, just like the Catholic priest. So P-R-I-E-S-T. And Quick fire round, a book that you recommend. Oh, just one? Uh you could, any any <laughs> of them. You could you could say a couple. Uh so actually, so that word multipotentialite that I got from Emily Wapnick, she has a book um called How to Be Everything. And it's not like how to be everything as a woman, you know, to make everybody else happy. It's how to be all the things that you know, uh, fill your soul, fill your cup. So uh, that's something that I'm reading right now. I'd recommend that. Love it. And best advice you've gotten that's helped accelerate your career? That is about asking questions with genuine curiosity. Mm, Yes. Yes to that. A person who is a must follow for you. It could be a person, a podcast, a YouTube channel who is must follow. So I would probably say Tim Ferriss. I've had a couple of life-changing podcasts. Um, uh, He has a podcast with uh, John Cornfield um, that just talks about self-compassion, meditation. And then uh, anyway, yeah, so Tim Ferriss. (laughs) A website or app that you just like love. I know we talked about um, triplem.page or what maybe mm i can't remember what it was what is another one that which is a website builder what's another one that you recommend that you just love oh website i love yeah the uh, triple m dot page is so delightful um oh website that i love i just i'm like one of those even though i'm in tech i'm like one of those boring people because i just i love like wikipedia because it's an ability for me to learn <laughs> so i don't know if that's a good one to say but I feel like I should come up with something novel. Yeah, probably 100daysofnocode.com. I think that's life-changing. Yeah, the one we've talked about. It gives you a skill nobody can take away from you. It gives you options to create streams of revenue. So I would go with 100daysofnocode.com. Perfect. Mish, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. Thank you. This is so much fun. Thank you for having me. Of course, to connect and collaborate with more amazing women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech community at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you, talk to you, all the things in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Mish Priest, founder of unstuckin15.com, where you can get unstuck with three questions in 15 minutes. I'm based out of Vancouver, Canada. You're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production.
Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.